Future Friday. Hello, welcome to Future Friday. Um, as you should know, there has been widespread protests across the world, and for good reason. Uh, John and I support these protests, which want an end to injustices that communities of colour face on a regular basis. This is because Black Lives Matter. We want to use this platform to voice our condolences to the families who have been affected by the countless injustices that communities of colour face on a regular basis. Action is needed, and that's quite frankly what needs to happen. Um, and if you cannot protest or you do not feel safe, there are other ways to help with this movement. You can donate, sign petitions, educate yourself on the issues and much more. Um, and we will put all these resources in our episode bio. Um, so we just wanted this to be a statement from us about what was going on uh, right now across the United States, but also across the world. So that's our kind of like statement. Uh, John, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, we stand in solidarity with all oppressed peoples. Everyone deserves dignity and security. Systems of oppression must be actively opposed and dismantled. Do what you can to support the cause of justice by joining protests, donating to mutual aid organizations and bail funds, educating yourself and others, and speak out against injustice, anything you can. Passivity is complicity, especially for those with privilege. Perfect. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, so that's our statement about the issue, um, and we will go towards our episode. So for this week, we are talking about the future of kind of data use. So we're kind of talking a little bit more about like open software and closed software um, and things like that. So I think John knows quite a lot about this subject as we were kind of discussing a little bit earlier before going on to uh, this episode. So um, yeah, this will be a really interesting conversation to also have. So John, why, why is data so valuable right now in the 21st century or just right now really? Yeah, well, the data is essentially the new oil. It's the new hot commodity that everyone wants. Because it's, in the oil analogy, it's essentially the fuel that makes our modern systems work. All the algorithms we have, everything that we use that you know, benefit from any kind of AI or any kind of algorithm is driven by data. We collect and measure and you know, quantify so many different things through all the sensors we have on our phones and smartwatches and, and in our cities. And all that is used to power, you know, traffic lights and, you know, conversational assistant AIs and, you know, facial recognition. That's mm -hmm. the stuff we need to, you know, make this stuff work. And, you know, if you can't, collect and have access to that then you can when you have that information you have the power and control to you know make very good guesses into what could happen in the future you know the united states has a surveillance uh, ai called sentient that you know is designed to take in as much information as much data and as many different kinds of forms as possible you know, weather, stock information, log uh, transportation logistics, protests, you know, uh, satellite imaging, all that mm -hmm. stuff puts it all together and then tries to figure out where things are going on in the world and points uh, American surveillance satellites at those locations to investigate what could be going on there. Yeah. It all seems that like is driven sorry. by data. Yeah. 
And it seems like um, major state governments have so much resources as well to kind of do this as well. The fact they can use data so um, so freely and so um, that yeah, like their ability has been extended so much by their kind of resources as well. It's like even though yes, we have mobile phones um, and we use data quite a lot. I don't think it's to the same extent as major state governments. So like what you mentioned with like surveillance for the United States, it's like, yeah, it shows that kind of disparity. It's like we can use data in so many different ways, but certain institutions or certain people or certain groups of people use data at a greater or a lesser level, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Kind of. It's not so much about, it's more about how the data gets used and collected. Oh, right. Yeah. Because, you know, the data is going to be there, but there's nothing necessarily wrong per se in having a government collect information or having Google collect information on you. Mm. The problem is whether or not you know you're being, you know, whether or not you know what's being collected about you and whether or not you have control over what that, what that information is. Yeah. Like that's the, like, say with Google and having, you know, with, with mobile phones. Yeah. The United States government gets to know where you go because Google lets you know, because Google lets them. Google knows where every single Android phone is on the planet because through its Google play store, it basically monitors everyone's location, regardless of whether their location settings uh, actually say. And then they just pass on that information to the U.S. government under the uh, PRISM program. Yeah. Do you think that's quite questionable, though? Of course it is. Yeah, cool. So I mean, but that's not an. But that's the thing yeah. is, it's that's not an uh, an endemic uh, aspect to it. Well, rather, it's part of the. It, that's something that goes into uh, what I was going to say about um, the distinctions between something like open and closed source software. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, uh, what is open and closed source software? Do you want to go down more in depth about that, those two distinctions? For sure. Yeah. So when you're making software, you have the source code. That's the original code that the programmer actually you know, typed out that gets compiled into an executable file that gets run by the computer. That code can be made publicly available can be made pub, uh, you know, available to the public, or it can be kept private. It can be, tre- um, and so when it's the public can see, and you allow other people to see, uh, and just potentially even contribute and you know take from your from an, a project, you can see the source code and let anyone freely use it, modify it, and contribute to that project. That's that's open source. Closed source is more you know based on the idea of intellectual property that whatever code you typed out is the property of the entity, the person or a corporate group that created it. And then they have, you know, essentially a monopoly on whether, you know, who gets to use it and how, and how it gets used mm-hmm. regardless of the fact that that code by virtue of it being, you know, digital is, can be uh, replicated infinite times at no additional cost. And so when you have closed source software, say, um, let's, take, uh, let's take Android, for example, Google's Android. 
So Android, the operating system that runs most phones, is open source. So that means at the core level, the most of the functions of the phone are all uh, openly developed. Everyone can, anyone can go see what the code is. Anyone can contribute to the project, fix bugs, and or even take the code and make it remodify it and do what they want with it to make their own thing that's useful for them. Yeah. So when you have an open system like that, because anyone can see what their code is, and you get it's a, the entire development is a collective effort then you have all these different eyes looking over what's going on. You can't sneak something in. You can't hide it mm. because code at the fundamental level is instructions. You can't hide something malicious in code. It's, a, it's going to be visible. And so when you see all these things, people can't, people can see if like, hey, why is there you know, a backdoor to, I don't know, whatever government or why are you sending you know, my pictures to the server? Why are you doing like? why are you doing these things? Because people can see what the, what it's being told to do mm. rather. But if you have closed source, then that's hidden. So while Android itself, the operating system is open. Most Android phones run the Google play store and have uh, certain software called uh, Google play services framework. Right which those bits are proprietary. Those are closed source. That's Google's property. You can't actually see the code that's behind these, these, uh, these software. Mm. And it's those pieces. It's the play services framework that does. That's what collects data information on you as a person. Yeah. Same with Facebook. Facebook is closed. You can't see what Facebook does. So you can't see what, the app is doing, whether it's, you know, scanning things on your computer or watch or, you know, trying to log what you're doing. So, it so seems you have to have faith in, so with closed source software, you have to have faith in the person making it that they didn't put anything, you know, questionable inside. Yeah. So it seems to be like it's a mixture between open and closed source software. It's not just like, because when I was kind of reading this uh, and trying to get some information about this, it seems like there's a hard, there's a big distinction between, you know, you can either do open source or closed source, but then from what you've been saying, it's quite interesting is the fact that companies use both types of software, which just seems really cool. Um, oh yeah. No, yeah. they're um, most like, and yeah, most of them you are now heavily contributing to, um, open source projects because they benefit from um they benefit from open source they do benefit yeah. from that open model because instead of having like say um like apple apple software there are proprietary aspects to it but they use certain open source uh libraries and say instead of so when apple um takes something in the back end and improves upon it those benefits can then be shared with everyone else. Everyone else can then like, oh, I don't have to, um, I don't have to try and replicate those efforts. I can just freely share it. Hmm. And so all the, any, anything that, um, any investments that these corporations put back into these communities come back, um, trickle down back to them. So Microsoft used to have a very uh, predatory relationship with open source pro, uh, 
open source programs. What they would used to do is um, they would take an open source project and then modify it and make the new additions uh, work in such a way that they only ever worked on Windows so that anyone who wanted to use um, anything that Microsoft fixed couldn't, benef um, couldn't use it because it had to be compatible with Windows. Like they couldn't uh, use it on anything else. But then, um, and say if like Microsoft fixed a bug in that, they would, they, would, they would keep that fixed to themselves rather than spreading that out with the, the wider community. Now Microsoft has done a total uh, about face and is all for supporting open source projects because that's, that, that model doesn't really work if, in the long run. Yeah, that's what I was reading actually. Yeah, because I felt like when I was reading some of this, it's like you can have open source for um, like, like a short period of time because you know it's you have it there. It's pretty easy to set up, I'm guessing, because it's low cost. But then I was saying that when it, when you wanted to like innovate and become a little bit better, um, closed source is a lot um, better to use in long term. Whereas um, open oh source no, I meant the when I said oh, the model doesn't work, I meant the Microsoft's model doesn't work. Oh, right, Microsoft. Okay, my bad. Okay. So, all right, right. Cool. I would argue that open source is more innovative. A lot of the features that you see on Windows and Mac came from Linux first. Mm. Because you don't have, because you're not, it's, um, <clears throat> so think of open source as like a patent. The whole point of patents back in the day was to let innovators and creators basically publicly disclosed how their thing worked so everyone else could learn and improve upon it, but they got a monopoly on its profit and use for a designated period of time. But mm. once that expired, everyone already spent, had you know, 20 years to learn and improve upon it, and now they can all go in and make it better because everyone can see and everyone can contribute. Mm. So, and so think of open source as like that. Everyone can, you publicly publicize what your thing does. Yeah. You don't get a monopoly on it, but then everyone can see what's going on. And so let's say one person fixes a bug, one person adds a new feature that's relevant to them. And then one person thinks that's really cool and then adds another thing on top of that. And suddenly you've, everyone is one little uh, fix gets spread across everywhere. And you're not, instead of having, one project trying to compete with another, you can have these, these projects uh, cooperating with each other and then you know, modifying their changes for their own particular use cases. Mm. So rather than having the double like, okay, this person added you know, X feature, well now we have to figure out how to add X feature. Instead of just like, okay, well they added X feature. Do we want X feature? We kind of want X feature, we want X plus one. So we'll take their X and then add the bits that we need. And now we have X plus one and anyone who wants X or X plus one can choose between which ones we've created hmm. and then make their X plus two. Yeah. Cool. Cause that's the thing. Cause I feel, I feel like with open source, it's, it's much better for like things like forums. So like, for example, if it's more public things and you want to have everyone to add on to it, then open source is perfect because it allows all kinds of ideas like what you've been mentioning to, um, onto it um so i know like for example a lot of businesses or like blogs use i think open source so i don't know 
you know, we've like, you know, like website builders, you probably know, like Wix, um, uh, well, well, it's like, uh, Blogspot, places like that. Are those kind of web, yeah, are those like website places open source or they're closed source? I feel like they're open source. I don't know if they are. I, I feel like they I are. I want to say off the top of my head that WordPress is open source. Yeah, because I feel like if you can edit and make changes to it, I feel like that's maybe open source, but maybe I'm not. No, no, that's not, that's not open no? source. That's not the same. Okay. No, because you're, because all you're doing is you, so, just so you're editing the website, but you're not editing, you don't get to go in and edit the tool and see the tool itself. You can see all the code for the website that you were creating, but yeah. you don't get to see the code of the tool you're using to create that code. Okay. Right. So just so like, just because like Wix lets you make a website doesn't mean that you get to see how Wix works. Mm. Okay. Cool. 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 So it's like, okay. What if you're um, change? What if you're changing the code? Does that make a difference or no? You have to be so not that you have to be changing the code. Be able to change the code of Wix itself. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Gotcha. But, not yeah, just or, on the website because then you're because then it's just like. So it's say for example, there's Adobe Illustrator which does vector graphics. That's closed source and proprietary, and mm. then there's Inkscape which is free and open source. Sure. So it's still like, you're still editing the files. You're still like, you get to create and choose and edit the same files between the two programs. But on one hand, you can see what Inkscape's doing and you can't see what Illustrator's doing. Fair it's the tool, we're talking about whether or not you can see the tools and how they work rather than like what product they let you make, whether or not they let you see the product. Sure. Okay. And just as like a follow up question, what, what would you say is better, open source or closed source? That's I'm for open source. You're more open source. Okay, fair enough. Like I run Linux, like I'm running Linux on my computer right now. So. Oh, really? Okay. With Firefox. So, yeah. Yeah. Because okay. you get to have, because you can have control over your, um, over your computer. You can see what things are going on. You can have faith in that, you know, 100,000 people looked over that code. And we're like, yeah, in good conscience, I can pass this on to someone and, you know, this is, this is good. This is, this is something that I would want to run on my own thing. Sure. Gotcha. Like, uh, take, for example, I bought, uh, I recently bought a phone from China. Mm. And it comes with, um, I bought a Xiaomi phone that comes with MIUI, which is a modified version of Android by Xiaomi. Now, like most private, uh, quote unquote, private corporations in China, they are also, you know, a substantial owner of that partial owner of that company is the Chinese government. The Chinese government uses their phones to surveil on their people. I don't trust a phone with software with, an, uh, with the operating system at the very at the fundamental level, the operating system made by a company that has, you know, that's very much in bed with the, the Chinese government. I don't trust them to not put some kind of back door into my phone. Yeah. So what I did instead is I got rid of that and just flashed um, just regular Android on its own. Just the source code. It's fine. And with none of that proprietary bits. So I know that there isn't, it's not sending phone calls back to China or doing or 
have it or I have faith in my operating system that it's not doing something I wouldn't want it to do. Yeah. It's like you feel um, safe in mind. If that's mm-hmm. the you, yeah. You just pretty much feel safe using this phone. Right? It's like, yeah. That's yeah. And I didn't install the Google services framework. So now it's like I can safely use my, I can feel more confident in my phone knowing that it's not being, you know, surveilled literally all hours of the day. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that you know a lot about this because I feel like the general public don't even, don't even know about this, which is quite, um, it's pretty bad. Cause I feel like if we, if the general public don't know kind of this kind of information that they continuously buy certain things, which might not be super safe, um, using data, which might not be, um, super safe right now, you know, they can't, they're constantly buying into it. So it's, it's interesting that you know so much about it, but I don't think the general public know so much about this, you know, like the open source and closed source software. Yeah. Well, it's, um, well, part of it is, you know, how people learn how to use computers. Yeah. For the most part, people were like, okay, we're going to learn. I learned how to use, I for, for most people, it was like, I first, they first use computers in the workplace. Uh-huh. And so sure. when they're like, okay, I'm going to buy a computer for, to use at home, they're going to buy what's familiar. And then you take, you know, children, they learn how to use computers at home and at the school. And so like Microsoft has had, like Microsoft doesn't have, everyone doesn't use Microsoft just because, you know, Microsoft Windows is really great. Yeah. People like Microsoft had a very, very predatory uh, monopolist attitude in the 90s. Like they had over 90% market share and they still do have roughly 90% market share Mm. upon desktop computers. So if you get most businesses and most governments and schools using your computers, then everyone's going to be like, okay, when I'm going to go buy my own computer, I'm going to buy a Windows computer because that's what I know how to use. That's what everyone uses. So that's what I'm going to buy. Yeah. But it isn't necessarily that it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. There's plenty of um, other you know countries and um, other governments around the world that do use um, open software. They develop their own um, software for their own use cases rather than relying and paying Microsoft um, and being beholden to Microsoft um, for their technology. Yeah. No, interesting. And um, yeah, let's try and make this conversation a bit more uh, like broad and um, kind of what kinds of kind of like, because we, we're, we're speaking a lot about on the kind of individual level, um, like what you've been saying from your personal experience, but like what kinds of institutions are adopting um, open source software and why is that the case as well? Because mm-hmm. I feel like from looking into this, I know universities, for example, are using a lot of open source software. So for example, we probably know this called Moodle. Um, they use that a lot. So, for example, I looked at an article called Scott Wilson. Uh, sorry, the author was Scott Wilson uh, wrote on The Guardian saying, open source in higher education, how far have we come? Um, and he's been saying quite a lot of things and using statistics. So, like, this was back in, I think, 2013, this article might so a little bit, little bit late, um, saying about over 50% of higher education institutions use open source, both on the server and on the desktop. And then uh, Moodle hosts 2 million students across 150 UK higher and further education providers. So it just shows like open source in that institution is very, very um, massive. So yeah, do you know like other institutions as well that kind of use open source? Um, let's put it this way. Consumer facing things 
don't use open source, mm. most other things do. So when you so like when I said Microsoft had about ninety percent market share, I'm ta- that's about the personal computing desktop market. Yeah. Once you go to servers and supercomputers, that micro that market share is inverted. Suddenly, Linux has about ninety percent market share, and Windows has less than ten percent. Yeah. Once like plenty of universities use it. Um, what is it? The city of Munich was using Linux. They went, to, went back to Windows for a couple of years, and now they're going back to it. I believe oh, wow. some schools in Brazil use versions of Linux on their desktop computers for students. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chinese government has their own version of Ubuntu used for specific chi- specifically for Chinese markets. Yeah. So people are like people are using it all over. The, like people are using it all over. It's just um, and companies all benefit from it. And it's cheap. This like that's the main thing is that it's it's cheap. Why am I going to pay someone to do this for me if the technology for it already exists? Mm. You know, it's I, kind of for the example of um, take um, what do you call Sidewalk Labs in Toronto? So that was yeah. a proposed smart city project by Google uh, and their subsidiary Sidewalk Labs in the city of Toronto. And they were like, okay, we're going to, you know, we can install these sensors and collect all this data, and, but we can, and so we can like, you know, cool off the sidewalks and melt snow and, you know, fluck, you know do traffic automatically with all these uh, surveillance lights and, you know, have street lights turn on automatically when people walk around, you know, just suggesting all these things. And then recently they pulled out after a lot of, um, you know, a lot of resistance from people because in reality, they weren't really offering anything new. Yeah. You know, these were all either ideas that other cities have already done and have implemented. And so it's just like, okay, well, you know, we, all we need to do is just install a bunch of sensors and just, you know, install a software. Mm. So what, why do we need you? Why okay. do we need you collecting? And why do we need you to have, you know, your software that we can't see what it's doing and have you managing our software? Why do we need you to have to manage our information? Mm. So it's more we like... We can do this ourselves. Yeah, okay, it's fair enough. So it's kind of, yeah, it's pretty much taking... If it's so easy to like replicate, we might as well do it ourselves kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, and then, because that's the thing, is once you have... Because that's the thing about something that's digital, is once you make it, you only have to make it once, and then it exists. Yeah. Course. It's not like a painting. You don't have to like keep painting and investing all that time to you know make it. But once one person makes something that's useful, any it's already out there. It can be copied, and anyone can build upon it. So it's once, like say for example, once um, one city builds a, a a smart city platform that's open source. Other cities don't have to then invest all those resources to make that themselves rather they can just adopt it and modify it as they see fit and then other cities can then take all those modifications and put them all together to make it at all that's uh, that's fit for them and yeah. the more and more that everyone contributes the less and less you really have to end up changing things mm. yeah no it sounds sounds very good so it's like why am i going to spend so the longer and longer it exists it's like okay i could pay 
you know, Microsoft $3 million a year to manage, you know, to manage our whatever. Or I can, you know, spend, you know, $200,000 on some tech, on some tech guys, to, you know, make these additions to our system and now we're done. Mm. Yeah, no, it does. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like it's, it's very kind of easy to use and you'd rather kind of, yeah, it's, you'd rather not. I mean, have that's these. why um, all these private companies do use open software at the most basic level of their computers. Mm. Well, out for security issues because once you solve a bug then you don't have to you know once you've um, fixed a security exploit you want you want those all fixed everyone has the interest in making sure that your code that your your systems are secure and can't be exploited mm. so rather than having everyone you know having apple and facebook and Google and all and Microsoft, all these different companies investing and, you know, having people basically watch to fix the same bugs all the time. They can just, one person fixes this bug, another person fixes this yeah. bug and they all work in and it all feeds back into the same thing. They all benefit from it. They just don't, they just make their, um, their final consumer facing uh, features that are largely superficial. Uh, that's the closed source stuff. And that's where they have um, anything that could be, um, you know, questionable. Yeah. So it's like kind of using the open source. It's kind of creating better, you know, efficiency as well. People also think about as well as that, as that way as well. Yeah, um, I would argue it can be more efficient. Um, there are some drawbacks to its efficiency. Um, yeah, talk about the uh, drawbacks, actually, because I think that was another question I was actually going to ask. Uh, mm -hmm. Like what kind of challenges does you know, each model kind of face, kind of things. Well, so the, of some of the problems with open source is, well, I just said that um, while closed source has a lot of duplication of efforts, sometimes uh, open source can duplicate efforts as well because mm -hmm. it's, um, so since a lot of the development is community driven, if a part of the community doesn't like where, that's, where the development's going for whatever reason, they can just take the code and then it's called uh, forking, which is basically taking the code at one point in time and then uh, creating a new, a new branch of software that's going on in a different development direction than the original project. Mm -hmm. So you'll have a bunch of people who are like, you can, and sometimes these you know, disagreements can be very you know, superficial on like, oh no, I want this to be done this way or I want it to be done you know, yeah. that way. And then they disagree and it might be something personal. Like, oh, I don't like this person, so I'm just not going to use their software. And then, okay, well, now you have two projects that, you know, are largely doing the same thing. They just have slight differences. Um, but now you have all, and so it's like, okay, well, now we have four file managers. Yeah, sounds like democracy. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's very democratic. It's democratic. That's the other thing. It's, it's democratic oh, yeah. at its core. It's that these are people that all come together. It's all community driven. Yeah. Everyone participates in their way, whether you are, you know, you can either participate by, you know, funding the project, you can participate by just reporting bugs, or you can be a major contributor and actually, you know, write a lot of code for it. Mm. Interesting. But then, yeah, that, of course, that's then going to create disagreement if, someone doesn't agree with it, um, mm -hmm. you know, so that's, Closed source yeah. is, you know, unilateral. It's, mm. you know, we do that. I pay is basically, you know, I pay you to make this. So do it. You don't own it. You don't own what you're working on. 
Yeah. So that's a bit more, so I'm guessing with that positive or closed source, it's like you just, you just tell someone just do it and you, you do this, you do the, the whole uh, code, like coding or whatever, whatever the technical term is. I, I won't, I don't know what the technical term is, but like, you know what I mean? Like use, I'll say to someone, do build this closed source software and then that's the discussion over. So maybe that's more of a positive for the closed source rather than open it's, source. It can, it can be, but the other hand, it's, well, okay, I want you to make this. Well, okay, but you're going to use this software to, you know, do drone strikes. Oh, yeah, true. I don't, like, I don't want, like, that's the <laughs> yeah. thing. That's why open source is better is that if the community realizes this is bad stuff and they don't like that where this project's going, they stop using it. They stop contributing to it. Mm, that's bad enough. Like Just, that's the thing about you know about digital communities is that they're not limited by physical space. You can secede from the community and create a new one. Mm, interesting. Interesting. So often, plenty of times when projects die, a new community will you know it'll the community will continue on and be reborn, and then continue yeah. on that project. Interesting. While if something is closed source, if that program, if that company goes bust, well, you know, you better hope that someone bought up that code. Yeah. And actually, I was about to ask you something, actually. Um, do you have any, any ideas about, because um, I, was, I was looking into open source design, um, at like a definition of it, and it was saying something about, about retention of intellectual property. Um, I know this is a bit of a random question, but like, what does that kind of mean? Do you know? Well, it's like something like patents. Okay. So intellectual property is whether or not you can, is taking something that you thought of and then treating it like other objects of property, something that can be traded, something that can be sold, something that can be bought, something that you can uh, restrict usage of from exclude others from by force of law by virtue of it being your property it's yours to do with whatever you want other people have no claim to it yeah but it's so it's treating something that's you know infinitely reproducible the same way as something that is singular sure gotcha 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 enough so, like, while many computers have run open source software, well, you might not be able to necessarily know how the processors are made. Mm. You might not be able to use, you know, or to make a, an open processor if you can't access, um, you know, the ways they're made. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So it's, these are like the, the quote-unquote trade secrets. Yeah. Okay. Do you have, like, any other... Is there kind of any other kind of challenges to these modules? So to these models? Oh, geez. Um, well, it's all about just, um, you know, what, whether we choose, like, can, technology and data doesn't necessarily, by definition, have to be oppressive. It can yeah. be transparent at its fundamental level. We have to build them that way. Mm, we have to make them and demand them to be that way. Yeah. No, that is true. That's absolutely true. But I think and it's also about, you know, well, when you've been saying like we need to demand um, for those to be more transparent, um, I feel like we can demand um, that transparency, 
but sometimes we might lack the resources to demand that. So for example, I was reading this article today, actually, um, it's for my dissertation, which I'm gonna do um, for my next uh, university year. Um, and it was discussing about the fact that, yes, people might have social media, we might have like all types of data, right, on our hands and technology might help us. But the fact of the matter is sometimes we might not have the resources to try and put those who use things like closed software, things like mass surveillance, for example, um, to the absolute extreme because they have so many resources, whereas compared to us, we have lack of resources. So when you said like, we need them to be more transparent, does maybe resources come involved because we might not be able to put them to, we might not, we might not have the ability to make them transparent, if you know what I'm trying to say. So it's like, it's very kind of quite difficult, which is then why we then may need open source software in that open software in a world like that. Yeah, I, I don't, well, what I'm saying, yeah, we're not going to make Google and Facebook transparent. Yeah. The way we get, we fix that is by not using them. Use the open and transparent alternatives. Enough. That's yeah. what I mean by demand. We have to demand something transparent. We have to demand that these options do exist. They mm. do. They are out there. Like it's what? It's a matter exactly. of getting people to use them. Yeah. Like what kind of examples do you have of that? Oh, don't ask me that on the air. I don't have any of them off the top of my head. Okay. Sure. My bad. Sorry. Okay. I won't say. My bad. My bad. <laughs> I won't. I'll ignore that. Apologies. Um, but yeah. So um, yeah. Kind of lastly, then, like, how could an open source future look compared to a closed source future? Well, I would say when people imagine tech dystopias or, you know, imagining Black Mirror, you know, that's, that's a closed source future. A one where you imagine, you know, the tech, um, you know, government surveilling you all the time, watching you and being, you know, technology used in these oppressive ways. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the closed source future because essentially it's people, you know, they have, the, you know, it's a continuation of what we see today. Facebook has all this power and control over people's lives because it jealously guards its code. Mm. We don't get to see what it does. We don't get to see how it works. But, and it uses that to its advantage. And then, you know, states use that for their power and for their advantage as well. Yeah. Rather an open, you know, it's, it, that's, so that's like when people say like, oh, like imagine this, um, like imagine all these cameras and sensors and everything and imagine not feeling weirded out or like being worried about, you know, what that information is doing or who's collecting it. Imagine being safe in the mind, safe in mind, and like knowing that it's it's secure and that it's safe because you can see where it's going, whether it's being used locally or whether it's mm. or if it's being used elsewhere, how it's being used and what's yeah. being sent. You know yeah. what's being collected. You know what you're opting into. You can cool. feel secure, and you can you know we can build all these systems. You know, imagine a world like okay, imagine a world where government uses AI to um, let's imagine uh, a futuristic world where uh, petty, you know, low petty and crime, uh, petty crime and low offenses are, you know, are, are, you know, dealt with by an art, uh, an AI judge, mm. which would you trust? Would you trust the one where you can see how the judge makes 
decisions and you know what and what factors go into it yeah. would you be willing to for to be subjected to that kind of judge or would you be willing to be subjected to a judge that just the government says this is a judge it's fair um we say it does it's these things but there's no way for you to actually check yourself oh yeah of course definitely that's yeah I, that's yeah i'd rather like that's, the found, that's the foundation of transparency mm. you know open that's what it's going to allow um us to have these you know have our cake and eat it too yeah exactly to have these fancy new you know the crazy new world that can be offered by technology and it not be used to oppress us but rather use it for good and to you know enhance and to you know liberate and emancipate mm. not to you know further subjugate absolutely absolutely no that's that's hopefully a future that we can work towards 100 a future that yeah doesn't have this oppression of the, the oppressor versus the oppressed you know it, it creates a world where no one's sort of oppressed and no mm. one's an oppressor so yeah definitely i think what you're saying is very interesting i think transparency maybe is a future we should go towards um with you know open software or even just in everyday life really like away from software and things like that definitely um yeah no it's been a really interesting discussion then about open what about the open the, the, the distinctions between the software um definitely so yeah we'll go to our kind of weak signal um i'll go first so the national university of singapore um released this kind of really interesting kind of uh, research which is a device that generates power from shadows so we obviously talked about energy on this podcast um i think a few weeks back so we talked about a lot of different things like renewables nuclear power how it's not really part of this conversation but now shadows you know the, the use of shadows through power for like a generator that uses shadows could uh, be very helpful um and really do something part of that energy conversation so yeah it's pretty much a new concept generating green energy power under indoor lighting conditions so this shadow effect energy generator or known as seg uses the contrast and illumination between lit and shadowed areas to generate electricity. So this machine is um, quite a low cost development and was able to perform two functions, which was one, to convert illumination contrast from partial shadows that are uh, cast into electricity. And then, this, um, and then that, this was then being able to be self-powered uh, to a self-powered proximity sensor or like an indoor charger. So pretty much used the uh, shadows to help charge like indoor uh, sensors. Um, most of this was based on like lab experiments. So they use like four cell SEG uh, and then like four cell uh, kind of little things. Um, and then an SEG is apparently twice as efficient when you compare to a silicon solar cells. Um, and, then that, and, then, and then that energy is harvested from SEG and is then able to power a digital watch. So a lot of like interesting things come about it um, and they are now looking to experimenting with like other materials other than gold so gold was kind of used but they want to try and find a way to kind of reduce the cost and they also want to look at developing these sensors to have a variety of functions so this kind of weak signal pretty much is looking into uh, you know a new way of examining uh, energy and using shadows which is a really interesting concept so yeah John what do you uh, think about this? When I, when I think of when, you know, dark and 
energy is going to be a thing. This isn't really what I imagined, but it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's, um, I mean, a whole new, I mean, it's, sorry. So were you surprised by it? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's pretty crazy. I don't, I still don't really understand how it works, but it's clearly something, um, something advanced and, you know, mm. all these new ways of creating, there's you know, all these sorts of different ways we'll figure out how to make energy. So, you know, yeah. we're not going to, you know, power, I don't think we're going to power entire cities from our shadows, but you know, it's all these little things that add up that count. Yeah, of course. I think it's just, it's just like another option added onto the energy list, you know, because I think I was, I was speaking on the, on our week of energy about saying like, we need to use multiple types of energy. You know, we need to use solar, we need to use nuclear, we need to use um, a lot of different renewables, not just reliance on one. And I think shadows can hopefully be posted on to shadows. Sorry? Yeah, I mean, wait, sorry. No, I just said we need to use shadows. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. We can help. Don't worry about it. Definitely. But well, yeah, we can use kind of different things, 100%. Um, but yeah, so John, what's your weak signal? Yeah, so mine's on uh, cheap elements that act like uh, rare elements. So okay. scientists at the University of Michigan have um, discovered new chemical compounds made from common elements that can replace those made from rarer and more expensive elements. So um, elements such as gallium and indium are used in superconductors and are critical in modern electronics, but they're pretty rare uh, and expensive. But researchers have found new compounds with similar properties that can be made from far more abundant uh, elements like um, compounds of zinc, tin, and nitrogen could be used in um, thin film solar panels, LED bulbs, and phone and television screens, rather than um, the more rare technology um, elements. Yeah. This is important because, um, so virtually all modern electronics rely on what are called technology critical elements or TCEs. Hmm. And these are often among the rarest and most expensive elements in the world, uh, not to mention difficult to recycle. Yeah. So say for example, um, over 60% of global exports of the element tantalum, which is a critical input in smartphones, came just from Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo in 2017. Yes. And some estimates yeah. expect that global reserves of that element will be depleted within the next 50 years. Yeah. And tantalum's scarcity and high demand is you know, credited with partially funding uh, the second Congo war and for continued instability in the region. You know, the DRC is one of the poorest countries in the world. Yeah. And so the synthesis of cheaper compounds could really help reduce demand for TCEs. Uh, cheaper locally sourced substitutes could reduce the cost of electronics that rely on these as inputs. Reduced demand for TCEs could really, uh, diminish the leverage enjoyed by powerful states with reserves and incentives for exploitative extractive structures uh, and weak governments and states with less diversified um, economies. Yeah, of course. And also reduces the probability of, you know, global economic and technology shocks as, um, you know, these resources are inevitably uh, uh, depleted. Yeah, absolutely. No, it sounds really interesting that because I was talking to, I know a friend of mine kind of explained this kind of situation in Congo and um, yeah, it's crazy. 
that kind of those kind of situations that we that you know the West kind of uses Congo um, because because of its um, of these kind of resources, um, and it's good that we have this. This, this week's signal sounds really good in that sense um, to try and find localized material. So yeah, yeah. No, it's um, need the sub get more, you know, more ethical, ethically uh, sourced phones. Absolutely. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say? Nope. I'm yeah. all good. Perfect. No. Okay. Thank you, John, for uh, this conversation then on uh, uh, the kind of open and closed software or just like the use of data. Um, and also our week signals. So um, yeah, thanks uh, guys for listening to this episode. Um, I'll, I'll also put down all the resources to help out with the Black Lives Matter movement in the bio of this episode. So yeah, please you know, read, read, on these, read on these episodes, sorry, read on these uh, resources, um, listen to what you can. And um, so yeah, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you, bye.